got to spend the, the day at Chris and Amy Burr's house a few weeks ago with a guy named Ken Yonke. And some of you guys have heard of Ken Yonke. He describes himself as a steward of dreams. And he says, everybody's got a dream. Everybody has something in their heart that's bubbling up, that they're passionate about, they want to see happen. And what he, he says his life goal is to help people discover those dreams and then to live out those dreams in the kingdom. So we spent the day with him, and he helped us come up with what was, uh, what was my controlling idea for life. He said, this needs to be the thing that you filter everything else in your life through. And my controlling idea was that restoration happens when oppression is confronted with love, transforming lives and communities. And when I think about my life, the word restoration is at the heart of who God made me to be. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you guys about restoration because I think it's really, really important. And if you don't get anything else this morning from what I say, I want you to get this. You were created to be restored and to restore and to be restored. Now, I know that's kind of redundant, so I'm going to repeat it again just to be more redundant. But you were created to, to, to be restored and to restore and to be restored. It is in the beginning of life with God that he brings this new restoration and makes us alive in him. And then that calling is that we would restore the world around us. And in that process of restoring, that we actually become restored over and over and over again. And all through life, we come across keys. Keys that are skills or ideas or, or new things that help us to open up doors. And I want to present to you this morning that this key of restoration is not just a key, but it's a master key. It will unlock door after door after door in your life. And whenever you're stuck, probably this key is going to work. I'm just telling you. It's a master key that if you use it, it will deliver you from darkness. It will heal you. It will satisfy you and even lead you into triumphant joy. I know that's kind of a lofty claim, so I'm going to back it up. But I want to start there and just tell you that's where we're going. Turn to Isaiah 58, and we're going to read it together. I tried to cut some of it out, and I couldn't, so we're going to read the whole chapter. It's beautiful, a little long. But pay attention as, as we read it just to the pictures God gives us of, of where we're at and where we're headed. We're going to start in verse 1 of Isaiah 58. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it, and, and you've seen it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your, heating sh and your healing shall spring up speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. 
You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's just pray. Father, we ask right now that as we take of your word, that you would break it for us, that you would feed us with it, and that we would be satisfied, Lord, that you would come and, and minister to us in a way that only you can. We trust that you are good, Lord, and we just ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding this morning. So this passage, I want to kind of break it down. It starts by telling us that we need to be rescued. The life we're living is not okay. It was written to Jewish people who are not much different from us. Verse 2 says, it describes them as if they were a nation that does what is right. And if I were going to put a description on the United States, that would be kind of the way. We're living as if we're a nation that does what is right. These people... From the sound of it, they really think they're doing good things. They're looking to God every day, but they're not finding him. They're fasting and laying down in ashes to show him that they're really serious. It wasn't like a half-hearted religion. It was just a completely wrong religion. They thought if they showed up and they did their stuff, then they could do whatever they wanted with the rest of their lives. They thought they could go through some rituals and then just kind of go on and be selfish and self-indulgent. It's kind of like a, the situation is like a man who, who really likes a girl. And, and so he thinks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her out on a date. And he's from Fort Worth, so of course he takes her out for steak. And they have a great steak dinner, and then he takes her to the rodeo, right? Because <laughs> he's from Fort Worth. But the problem is, halfway through the rodeo, she stands up and says, I can't stand this anymore. I'm a vegetarian, you didn't even ask. And I'm part of people for the ethical, ethical treatment of animals. <laughs> and I got to go. And he, he's standing there, wait, I tried so hard to make her happy, but instead I offended her. And so many times we do that. We're trying to make God happy, but we don't know what he wants. In this passage, he says, here's what I want. And not only is this what I want, but it's what's going to make you happy. And so his, his rebuke is not because he doesn't love us. His rebuke is to say, This is who I am, and this is who you are, and if you'll do this, then this is what I'm going to do. And it is really, really good news. So what's God telling us to do to get the promises that he promises? The first few verses make it pretty clear that it's not just religious rituals. So look in 6 and 7. Let's see what he says. Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry 
bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. So there's this loosing of bonds. There's this breaking of yokes. You, know, you picture somebody that needs to be rescued. The yoke, it, it, we, didn't just, we don't just take off the things that are binding people up. He says, just break it. Just get rid of it. And don't use it anymore. I've got this friend named Van Gravitt. Some of you guys know Van. Van's one of my heroes, and he understands this thing about rescuing more than most. He trained as an engineer and had a career in the oil business in front of him and decided he wanted to be a coach instead. So he started coaching, and as he was coaching, he loved these kids, and he started a camp for kids in Midland called Opportunity Camp. And so he took these kids who didn't have much hope and didn't have much of anything, and he took them to a Christian summer camp and taught them about Jesus. And that camp went, is still going, actually, out in Midland. But Van ended up moving out here and starting Opportunity Camp Como. And so we, since 2006, have been doing this camp called Opportunity Camp. And the first year, we had a kid named Corey come to camp. He was fourth grade, I think, when he came. At camp, he met Jesus. And not only did he meet Jesus, but he gave his life to Jesus. And he said, I want to get baptized. He, he joined the church. He started coming to our discipleship program. And Corey's life was changed on the inside. But Corey's life was really, really unstable. In the first couple years, he lived in six or seven different houses. And finally, Van came to Corey and said, Hey, Corey, you want to live with me and just be part of our family? And so Corey came, and Van has three sons and a, and a wife, so they, came, they brought Corey into their family. And Corey lived with them and went to school with them. But then Van got a job in Abilene as a coach. And instead of saying goodbye to Corey, Van said, Hey, Corey, you're part of the family. Are you coming? And so now Corey lives in Abilene. This part is going to make me cry if you just feel it. Corey is graduating from Abilene Cooper this year. He's going to go to Abilene Christian University next year on a scholarship. He will be the first person ever in his family to go to college. This morning while I'm preaching, I'd really rather be there because Corey this morning is preaching at his church on Senior Sunday. <laughs> And I don't know where Corey would have been if Van hadn't come into his life. Um, but I do know that Van rescued Corey. And that he understood what it meant to rescue. Now there are lots of people in this church who are doing the same thing. You may not be called to have kids live with you. Although I know there are a lot who actually are. And I think more who will be. I look around at people who are adopting kids or doing foster care. And you guys are being people who bring restoration. You're, you're taking people into your homes to bring restoration. It is beautiful, and it's good. I think about Houston and Jonathan. They work at Burn Ministries where uh, we work in Como, and they're discipling young leaders in Como by mentoring them and teaching them about what it means to transform a community and bring restoration. Some of you guys know Jesse Sorensen. I don't know if Jesse's in here anywhere, but uh, Jesse works with all children's home and all church homes, excuse me, it's ACH now. But she works with homeless kids. And she's teaching them about what it means to live life and get them off the streets and bring restoration. <coughs> Kelly Paddock made a choice. Instead of living somewhere else, she decided to live in an apartment it's just right down the road from us called The Fountain. And she lives there because she believes that she can make a difference. It's, a, it's an apartment complex that is where they place lots of refugees. 
And she wants to live among the refugees because she wants to bring restoration. Philip Posey, I don't know if he's in here or not. Philip works for Cornerstone Ministries. And Philip has done housing for homeless men for years. And now is over all of housing for Cornerstone, trying to get people into places that are safe, where they can live and build a family and build a life and bring restoration. There's Merrill and several others at Christ Fellowship who work at Catholic Charities. And you guys, are, as you work with the refugees, you are bringing restoration. And those are all just people doing it full time. There are lots who are working day jobs like me and still are having time to, to live a life that brings restoration. Brian and Stephanie Bird, I think of them. Brian is on the board for Prison Fellowship. Prison Fellowship is a, a national, actually international ministry that takes men who are in prison and women who are in prison and teaches them to follow Jesus. And Stephanie heads up the Angel Tree Project every year to, to get kids whose parents are in prison and get them Christmas presents. And she doesn't just do that for a few. She does it for the entire city. Um, there's Christy Martin. I, I was encouraged this weekend hearing about Christy. Uh, Christy's just dreaming. She, she just believes that God's going to use her. And she's a midwife but has a dream to start a prenatal care clinic for, for women in poor neighborhoods to get them good prenatal care so that their children will be born healthy into a healthy family. There's a ministry here called Unbound. A lot of you guys are part of Unbound. I, I could go on a lot, but un, I want to tell you about Unbound. Unbound is a ministry where they are praying and working to end human slavery and sex trafficking in our generation. And that, if you know anything about it, is a huge, impossible oppression that's going on all over the world. But they are praying and they are working to see it happen. See it in. And I, I just, Amy's going to be really mad at me, but I'm going to say something about Amy. Amy Burr. She has six kids and a husband. A great home that's Chris. <laughs> Can't leave out the husband there, yeah. Um, they are very hospitable. They love people well. But, but Amy has a passion for this ending sex trafficking. And as she prayed about it, she doesn't have a lot of free time. She can't go all over the world doing things to help people. But she said, I can do something. And she prayed. She felt like God said, I want you to identify with the suffering of those who are going through this. And she said, God, what do I do? And she felt like he said, shave your head. And if, if I heard that, that wouldn't be that hard. But for Amy, <laughs> she's got some hair. And she, she said yes to God. She shaved her head bald. And she didn't wear a wig until it grew out. And she... Everywhere she went was a picture of God's restoration to the world. And not everybody knew why she was doing it. Some people just thought she was weird or a Hare Krishna or something. I don't know. But she was identifying with people. And did it make a difference? Yes, it did. Absolutely it did. And who knows how much of a difference. But she said yes to God. And God used her simple act of obedience to bring restoration. I could go on and on with, with so many in this room. I wish I could name everyone. I, I, literally, I thought about just taking the whole sermon and just going around the room and, and just honoring those of you who are living your lives for the benefit of others. In big ways and small ways, it's all big ways. But I just want to say this morning, God honors you. Every step you have taken, every person you have loved, God says, this is what I made you for and it's worth it. This morning, I, I don't know if she's back there still. I saw Melanie Hoover, and I just want to say something. There she is. 
want to say something about Melanie. Melanie spent the last few years in Haiti, helping to bring health care to the poorest of the poor in a place that really, really is hard. We got to, my daughter McKenna and I got to go last year uh, to be in Haiti with her for a week or so, and we were ready to come home. I'll just say we loved her and loved the team. It was great, but it was hard. And I, I don't know all the reasons Melanie came home, but I want you to know you have been living out a life of restoration, and you're not done. What you are doing now is as much restoration as what you did there. And, and I know it was bad because we, we took, she asked, we asked her what, we, what she wanted. We were coming from America, and we are going to bring her something nice. And she said, these, these snacks. And so we went and bought the snacks, and I took them over there, and I looked, and it's dried seaweed. <laughs> it's like, if this is making you happy, you're in a desperate place. Let me just tell you. It was bad. <laughs> but I, 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 don't, I haven't talked to Melanie much since she got back, but I'm guessing that if you asked Melanie if it was worth it, she would say absolutely. And she would say it was hard and there were failures and it was awful sometimes, but it was the kingdom of God coming. And I bet sometimes she wishes she were back there instead of here. But God honors what you're doing, Melanie, and you are not done. Those who have dived deeply into this life of loving the poor understand there's time for digging in and there's time to pull back and rest. And there's a rhythm to it. And we're going to talk about some of that more at the end. But we've got to keep a vital connection to God's heart. And sometimes you just got to get some space. And that's just real. We can rest from the labor, but we just don't ever retire from the labor. We keep on going. We keep digging in. And when you pull back very long, you realize how much you want to dig back in again. Because there's so much of God in the digging in. We're not going to end oppression. Oppression will always be with us, but we fight oppression because God fights oppression. Because God, in the very heart of who he is, he's a restorer. He makes things right. Our worship, at its very cleanest, at its very purest, is just seeing who God is and mirroring his life in our own. And reflecting his goodness and his essence to the people around us. And God says, I am a restorer. I make things new. Our battle is not futile, but it is individualized for each one of us. And so I can look at all of the global oppression in the world and say, I can't do it. And I can't, but I've got a piece. I've got a part to play. And God doesn't expect me to feed every poor person in the world, but he's got some people for me to feed. I think about Isaac and Aaron, O'Brien, her, and... Uh, they heard a, a message not unlike this a while back, and they said, we're going to do something about this. So they went, and they got sack lunches, and they went out to these motels where people live, and they brought sack lunches week after week after week to feed people and to talk to them and to love them and tell them about Jesus. And I don't think they're even doing that anymore, but let me tell you, what they did in that season and that time was God's peace for them. And I don't know if you guys are here, but he's not done with you either. He continues, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, there is a time and a place for you to help those who are in need and bring restoration. He doesn't expect you to clothe the world, but he does have somebody for you to clothe. And I, I laugh because I have one coat in my closet. I've had a lot of coats. And in where we live and what we do, there's just opportunities to give away coats. This last one was my mother-in-law. She gave it to me, and I, I hope she didn't listen to this. because It was a really nice coat. <laughs> she might be mad. Um, but it was a young man who, who was homeless. He was living on the street, and it was cold. 
And so I walked in my closet and I knew I had two coats. I got the really, really nice Carhartt mother-in-law jacket. And then I got my other one. And it was, it was like, okay, my house is not as cold as that out there. So I'm going to give him the Carhartt coat and a hat and send him on his way. And, and now I've got my coat. I didn't bring him in to live with us. I didn't, um, didn't feel like we were supposed to do more than that at that time. But God said, give him my coat, and I gave him a coat. And it's, 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 you've got to listen to God. You've got to know what he says. And sometimes he's telling you to, to bring him in and make him part of the family. And sometimes he's telling you to give him a coat. So say yes to whatever it is. Uh, the third part of this passage is, is uh, what God promises if we say yes. So if we give ourselves to this work of restoration, the promises of God are pretty amazing. He says you'll have light in the darkness. you have healing. God's glory escorting you from behind. Continual guidance. Satisfaction. Strong bones. I like that one. I'm going for that. Infinite refreshment and fruitfulness like this well-watered garden that just keeps producing and never runs dry. Rebuilding the brokenness around us. And even a foundation being built for the generations who come after us. And my guess is every one of us can look at our lives and the, the people and the life that's gone before us and see some ruins, see some brokenness. God says he's going to rebuild that. And I love the part about the foundations because he says, I'm going to rebuild foundations. And foundations aren't for the past. Those foundations you're rebuilding, you're rebuilding for somebody to build on. For your children, for your grandchildren, for other kids who may not even be your children. You are laying a foundation that is going to make something, that's going to be the foundation for something beautiful. And God says, you get to be the restorer of streets to dwell in. I like those promises. I hope you all do too. I think they're pretty cool. But those motivate me. Those, want, those make me want to do something. I want to say these promises are conditional. And, and this part is... I want to be real careful as I talk. Salvation is free. Salvation comes when we need Jesus and we have nothing to offer. We are dead in our sins. And Jesus gives us faith to ask for help and we ask for help and he comes and meets us and he saves us and he brings us into his family. And that is free. But these blessings that he promises are not free. They're, they're conditional. He says, if you do this, then I will do this. There was a man a while back I met named Johnny Turnipseed. He said he was an infamous, infamous uh, part of the Turnipseed family out in Minnesota or somewhere. They were a bad family, he said. But he was preaching, and he kept repeating this phrase. If you work for the Lord long enough, you'll get paid sure enough in the end. If you work for the Lord long enough, you get paid sure enough in the end. And i got to tell you, when I first heard that phrase, it really bothered me. I didn't like it. Because there was something about the work piece that I thought, I'm not supposed to be working for God. Working for God doesn't sound right, because I'm his son. Well, it may bother lots of you guys, too. I suspect it does. If, if we think of it in terms of an employment relationship, then it's absolutely not okay. We are not employees of God. He doesn't owe us anything for the work that we do. But to say that we work for God is absolutely biblical. This is a big deal. In American churches, as we go around, 
as I look at different churches, different places in my own heart, I'm really nervous about the word work. It feels like a dangerous word to me. And I understand where it came from. It's, we have seen a church that said, you've got to work to make God love you. You've got to work to get to heaven. You've got to do all these things to earn God's favor. And we've said, no, that is not true. And we're absolutely right. That's not true. But work and grace are not fighting against each other. God talks about grace, and he has a whole lot to say about work. A whole lot. You say, well, Jesus says the work of God is to believe in the one he sent, right? Yes. And he also says, if you believe in me, you will do what I've commanded you to do. To, to believe is not to think. We're called to believe. And when we believe, we step into the work that God's given us, and we say yes to it, and we are, we're moving in working. The best picture I've got of this is like a family. My kids didn't have to work to be part of my family. They are my kids. And no matter what they do, they're my kids and they have my love. As much as I can give it unconditionally. There are times I'm not like Jesus, I know. But, but I love my kids unconditionally. That relationship is completely secure. But I'll tell you, if I tell the kids to go clean their room... And all the kids clean their room, but Malachi, and Malachi decides he's just going to sit around and do nothing. Then when everybody else is outside playing, then Malachi is going to be holding himself hostage in his room by his own disobedience. It's not because I don't want him to be outside playing. It's because I have told him to work, and he has said no, and he, he may get real mad at me and think I'm unfair, but he's got to work because he's my son. Um, God is not like a dead father who passes down an inheritance. And that's kind of the way it seems like the American church has decided God is. Like we get the inheritance, we get the blessing, and we get to blow it all on whatever we want. That is not who God is. It's not child support. God is with us. God loves us. And he says, do this, and I will do this. Let's walk together, and I'm going to show you how to live, and let's do it. And this, it's, it's just really important. Okay, I think I got that out. I'm not sure. We were created to live life as restorers. And just like a car doesn't run real well on Kool-Aid... We don't run real well on laziness and selfishness. And I, I bless all of us to be people who work, who are faithful in doing the work that God's called us to do. Now I want to get to the last section, which is on Sabbath, <laughs> which goes really well with the work part, right? We, I, I used to read this passage and think, I don't know what to do with that Sabbath thing. I'm just going to read it here. Um, you got Isaiah, the last two verses, Isaiah 58. Sorry, I didn't have this in my notes. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your, your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, then you shall delight in the Lord. And when I was a kid, again, all through my life, I've read it and thought, I don't do Sabbath. We're not, I'm, a, I'm not Jewish. 
that Sabbath, that day of rest every week. I don't even know how. I've tried. I'm terrible at it. And I just kind of let it go. I believe this passage, this, this last two verses is here because God put it here. Because it goes here. It's not just like, oh, okay, you do all this working for the poor, and oh, yeah, you got to rest too. It, it goes together. And I can tell you it has to go together. If we don't learn to rest, we cannot live the life God made us to live. Rest is an absolute command of God. And I, I say that having not figured it out at all. I, with seven kids and life and all this stuff, I try, and then I look up, and I, I'm doing stuff. And God tells us, you have to do rest. It is essential. Sabbath is not just a leftover rule from ancient times. He describes people who go their own ways. And going our own way could be going to a movie on, a, on, a, on the Sabbath, going to entertain ourselves or do pleasant pleasure things. He talks about doing pleasure. Or it could be doing too much work. So we can be really, really lazy and still not rest. We can be really, really distracted and entertaining ourselves and doing all kinds of stuff and still not rest. Or we can be working ourselves to death and not rest. The rest he describes is a rest of spirit. It's a rest of your soul. It's not just slowing down and sitting in front of the media source of choice in your home. Uh, at least for me, uh, when I rest really in my heart, there's not any media in it. <laughs> I, Facebook is not restful to me personally. And I, I hope I'm not stepping on toes. But I could be. And I'm okay with that. <clears throat> what does it look like for you to put yourself in God's presence and say, God, this is a time for you to do what you want to do in my heart. He will give you rest. You don't have to go entertain yourself to get rest. But we need to rest. We live in a world that's too busy to obey God. And we, as Christians, have become too busy to obey God way too many times. And when we try to do that and then we try to bring restoration, we just give people our leftovers. We give people, you know, the, at first we've got this overflowing life of Jesus, and then we keep going, and then we got a little bit of Jesus, and then after a while it's just like, blah, this is all I got for you. <clears throat> and if we live in that rhythm of rest, and we are, are those waters that just overflow and overflow and overflow in this garden that's full of fruit all the time. And I haven't figured it out, but I'm telling you, I want that. We need that. A couple years ago, I turned 40. That tells you how old I am, I guess. And I had this really cool birthday party. It was people, rich, poor, white, black, Asian, just this beautiful picture of the life God's given us. It was people who really loved and cared about me, and I got up at the end to talk, and I just started crying. And it wasn't because I was thankful or happy. It was because I felt absolutely empty. I was lonely. I was broken. I felt like a failure. I had no clue what was going on, but everything I was trying to do wasn't working. And some of that was probably what Chad described a few weeks ago, that whole midlife crisis thing. Um, I, I think I hit it pretty hard. Some of it was that I hadn't learned to rest, and I, I was living on empty. And then some of it was just the reality of when you work in the kingdom of God and lay your life down for, the, for others, there are seasons. And it was a tough season. It was a time when I felt like all I'd ever done, nobody cared about, and everybody I was trying to help didn't even want to help themselves. 
And I was just like, what am I doing? And that's, that's real. That doesn't mean you're not living in the kingdom. Uh, every one of us, as we, as we do this thing of restoration, there's times when you feel like, yes, this is awesome. And there's times you feel like, what am I doing? I can go over there and do that and just not do anything, actually. And there's a rhythm to it. But God is saying, this is who you are. You are a restorer. And thankfully, God's put new dreams in my heart. Anybody who's talked to me recently knows I'm pretty excited about starting a farm that's a boarding school for kids from Como to come live in and run a full-fledged farm. I think that's going to be really cool. Why are you laughing? (laughs) A lot of people laugh because I'm not a farmer and I'm not a teacher and I don't know how to run a school. But God, (laughs) God is good. (laughs) But he gives us our dreams back. And we can stare in the face of oppression and be aware that we're never going to beat it until Jesus comes back. And we can keep going. And we can keep fighting. And when we do that, whatever we do to try to bring restoration to others will restore us. Now, there's times when it doesn't feel like you're being restored, but I'm guessing that Melanie is a whole lot stronger than she was when she went to Haiti. And there's a whole lot more of Jesus in her than when she started. Dean Alexi, you too. Dean and Lexi went to Thailand and laid their lives down for the people of Thailand, and now they're back, and I guarantee you, they don't look the same as when they went. We were called to do this. We were created to restore people, and it's hard, and it's fun, and you will be satisfied in it. As we look out, as I look out at you guys, there are a lot of us who are not satisfied. We wonder, what's going on? I'm doing the stuff. I'm trying to go through the motions, and I just don't feel it. And it may be you're in a season of one of those ups and downs, but it may be that this is God's message to you this morning. Don't go your own way. Don't do your own thing. Lay your lives down for other people, and I will meet you in the middle of it. I will restore you to a place that is so much better than you could have ever imagined that you'll never look the same. God made us to bring restoration. Every one of us has a part to play. Let me go ahead and ask the worship team to come up. And I, I believe that um, hopefully everybody's got some way to respond this morning. If the prayer team would come on up too. Maybe your response... What's it? Oh, everybody stand up. I'm sorry. Thank you. What happens you only preach every now and then. <clears throat> Maybe you are one of those people who feels dead and just needs to get restored for the very first time. Maybe you've never known God, never know what it means to walk with him. And he will meet you without you having to do a thing if you'll just ask him for help this morning. Maybe you've been sitting on your rear end and need to get to work. And you just need to step up and say, I want to do this thing. I'm in on the call of God. And maybe you've been working really hard, or maybe not working really hard, but you just need rest. And you need to find out what that Sabbath rest is about. So if you'll come, we've got people up here to pray for you um, or pray where you're at. But just ask God, um, come up and ask somebody to pray for you and have them, have them uh, whatever your need is this morning.